tonight, if you will. First John chapter number four. Now I'm going to uh, I'm going to address an issue tonight <coughs> that uh, I've been asked uh, at least a half a dozen times in the last week. I've had a couple of uh, pastors call and discuss with me, and uh, a couple of family members, a couple of church members. Um, and so I want to address uh, some things and hopefully teach some things from the Bible that will help to give us discernment in the matter. And that is the issue of this uh, Asbury revival. I know you all are probably tired of hearing about it on the news. But I've had some good, solid, biblically sound people that I've looked up to at least in, in past years that have called and asked me what my thoughts are on it. And uh, I have my thoughts on it, but then I also have what the Bible seems to say about things. And I want us to, to take a look at Scripture tonight. And, and my goal tonight is not to, not to uh, badmouth or dis- disparage uh, these folks over there but uh, to teach some truth from God's Word that maybe will help us uh, to have better discernment and understanding. Um, and, and I, I want us to, to look at several uh, principles and some issues tonight. And, uh, and I just, it just happens that that is the, the current incident that seemed to provide itself to bring about some teaching on some of this. And so I think uh, it will certainly do that and, and take the opportunity to... To deal with this, First John chapter number four. <clears throat> John writes this in verse number one: "Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the word, uh, into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God." And uh, I want us to understand this that. Uh, when it comes to things of a spiritual nature, and this, this would hold true whether it be in the sense of trying to distinguish a, whether it's a God-given revival or move of God, or whether it is the doctrinal preaching of a church, uh, all of these things ought to be judged and discerned not by what our sense of justice is or even what our sense of what is right or wrong or what our standards are, but it ought to be based on how does it line up with God's Word. Uh, and I've said this so often in the last several weeks, and I've had a number of instances actually now in the last probably three or four weeks of people that have asked me uh, about uh, uh, an issue of judgment on a matter. And the truth is we, we can judge righteously, and the Bible tells us to judge righteously, but we have to be so careful because our judgment is tainted with a sin nature. And even though we see Scripture and we see truth, sometimes our, our flesh tendency may cause us to judge things inappropriately. So we've got to be careful when it comes to this matter of trying the spirits that we come to it strictly from a biblical perspective. Not how we feel about it, not, uh, boy, that sure seems to be right, or experientially uh, maybe you went and, and, and might have been one of the, the 50,000 or so that went there to visit and be there on the campus. And uh, I've seen people come off there that were interviewed that have said, uh, boy, there's just a great excitement and there's a great spirit there. Well, I've, I could go up to the, the Cardinal Stadium after a ball game and talk to people, and they would say the same thing. But it doesn't mean that that was of God. And so I'm not saying it's, it's not of God or that it is of God tonight. What I'm saying is let's measure it according to Bible principle and let the Bible tell us whether it's right or wrong. Because whether I have to believe it's right or wrong doesn't mean a thing to you. But if the Bible says something is right or wrong, that ought to mean everything to us. 
And so we want to make sure that we are looking at it from Scripture. Uh, John tells us here that we're to try the spirits. Uh, I know when the, the, first, uh, the first whispers of that came to my ears, uh, I was kind of in high hopes. I'd never really heard of the college before, didn't know much about it. And, uh, and I, I came to this realization in getting some things ready for tonight that I, I believe that every true believer, those that trust Christ as their Savior, those that are truly His, I believe that there is the desire in all of us to see revival. I, I don't think that that's the question at all. And because of that, uh, there is a propensity to grasp at anything that seems to be out of the ordinary when it comes to the things of the Lord as a possible revival. Uh, there are ministries that thrive around the idea of revival, and everything to them is revival. Uh, and, it, and I hate because sometimes they use it so overwhelmingly uh, in their verbiage that uh, sometimes when true revival comes, we wouldn't recognize it because it's not what we've called revival in the past. And uh, I think God certainly uh, does revival at his, at his determining. I think we can quench His desire to do revival. I don't know that there's anything we can do to cause Him to bring revival. Uh, I was listening to a preacher years ago, and he made this statement. He said, all we can do is set our sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit should he choose to blow upon it. We can live in such a way as to not quench a revival if God so desires to bring one. But I don't know that, that man can ever fabricate a revival. Uh, I know we, we oftentimes bring in a special speaker, and we may call it our winter revival or our, our summer revival, and uh, we put it on the calendar uh, the truth is, how do, how do we put God on a calendar when it comes to revival? Uh, we really can't. We hope that we have a sense and a desire and a longing for a revival when we come to those meetings. And I understand why we're calling them revival services. I'm not faulting us for calling them that. Uh, but the truth is, we can't schedule God to do a mighty work. Uh, God does that at, at His determination. Sad to say, I believe that there would be far more revivals were it not for the hindering of Him in our lives. There are so many things that seem like can hinder God's uh, moving in our midst. And yet, oftentimes, we find that the greatest revivals come during the time of men being the most depraved in their, in their living, and even Christians that have grown cold and apathetic. It seems like those are the times that God tends to send revival. Uh, look, let's look also in First Thessalonians, if you will, in chapter number 5. First Thessalonians, chapter number 5. And I'm going to give you some principles tonight from God's Word that we can look at and, and try to get some uh, understanding, perhaps, and discernment of, and uh, perhaps even uh, be able to judge these things a little more clearly. First Thessalonians chapter number 5, and uh, let's look on uh, verse number 21. Look at verse number 21. A different word is used here, but it has the same mindset. Uh, he uses the word prove all things. And uh, again, when you prove something, uh, if you remember uh, David, when he had to put on uh, Saul's armor, he said, I've not yet proved these things. Uh, I mean, I haven't tested. I haven't been tried in them. Um, when you deal with things in science, you have a hypothesis and then you have an experiment to try to prove or to, and you do a test to try to set this in proof. And so he says this. He says, prove all things. And then I want you to notice this. He says, hold fast to that which is what? Good. The, the antithesis of that is that we're not to hold fast to that which isn't good when we prove these things. 
And so we need to, we need to know those things as well. And whether or not this Asbury uh, awakening or revival, some people are calling it, is something that is good or not, is going to have to be something that the Bible determines for us. Turn with me to Hebrews one more place real quick. Hebrews chapter number 5. Hebrews chapter number 5. <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that He is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's talking about uh, the symbolisms of the Old Testament and how it pictures the Lord Jesus and His work with uh, the issue of redemption and being our surety of the new covenant. And uh, verse number 11 he speaks of that in verse 10. Then he says in verse number 11, "...of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat." I say that, and I brought this verse into the message tonight, because it seems like there, are, there have been a few people that have talked with me that... Um, that have asked the question, what are your thoughts on this? And I think you ought to be able to see this. Is it not clearly seen already? It should be known already. And yet you have to kind of think back and say, well, maybe they don't have yet that kind of discernment from Scripture. But notice what it says here in verse 13. It says, For everyone that what useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of what? Use have their senses what? Exercised to discern both good and evil. There are those that are content in the Christian life with just living their whole Christian life on milk of the Word. And that's why there are so many churches filled to capacity that teach or preach a watered-down message at best, and sometimes not even the gospel message. Because people are anxious to use milk. Why, why grow? Why become strong if I can be spoon-fed all of my life? Um, yet the Bible teaches that as we grow in the Christian life, we ought to be able to handle stronger meat. By reason of use, our senses... Now, I would say that in this context, that's dealing primarily with our conscience, our discernment of the heart. That our senses are, notice what it says in verse number 14, that by reason of use have their senses, and here's the word I don't like, exercise. Because exercise is sometimes painful. It takes, it takes going through some things to gain the benefit of it. And sad to say, a lot of times we go through the pain of not having the right discernment in order to gain the, right, the ability to have right discernment. And uh, so there, there should be a growth in the Christian life. And I'm kind of uh, amazed. I really am. I've, I've, uh, after the first several people came and asked me, I started looking things up and reading articles and watching video clips of. And I'll tell you what I have seen with my own eyes uh, from the video clips on, on the live location has left me very disappointed. And certainly... Uh, believing that, that while there is certainly a spirit that seems to be moving there, I don't know that it can be said it's the Holy Spirit. And from Scripture, I think we'll see that tonight. Look with me in John chapter number 16, and we're going to start by laying a foundation here. John chapter number 16, and we're going to establish 
this, page, this baseline, if you will, for all, all the judgment in Scripture that we're going to use from this point forward. John chapter number 16. John chapter number 16. Verse number 7, Jesus is speaking to His disciples, and He says, Nevertheless, I tell you of a truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin. Now keep that phrase in mind. That's going to become critical here in a moment. He will reprove the world of sin. This, this, is, this is the purpose, one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit. We spoke on this a couple weeks ago on Sunday afternoon. He will reprove the word of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. He's going to discern all those things. And notice he says in verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. That sounds similar to what we just read in Hebrews 5, isn't it? that there were some things that needed to be said, but they were in need of the milk of the Word and not the meat of the Word. Notice what he says in verse 13, though. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit, capital Spirit, right? So we're speaking here of the Holy Spirit of God. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit, and I want you to notice what Jesus calls Him. He calls Him the Spirit of what? Truth. The Spirit of truth. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all what? Truth. He is not going to guide you in a way that is contrary to the very book that He has written and given to us in our hands. He is the Spirit of truth. He's going to guide us into all truth, not just some of it. He's not going to do like Satan does and give a little truth so that it seems right and then mix it in with a bunch of lies. Not the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth. That's, that's what Jesus even calls Him. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. It's amazing to me, in watching so many of the clips of the revival at Ashbury, uh, how many people are saying, the Holy Spirit has done this, He's moved me in this way and this way. My Bible tells me, and Jesus said, He's not going to speak of Himself. The Holy Spirit is here to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's going to teach us in things that are truthful. So there have been several concerns I've had. I'm going to share the concerns. And then I'm going to look at a couple more Scriptures. And then we're going to... There's five questions that I've had based on what I know from Scripture that I've had to ask. And it has caused me to come to the conclusion in my mind, and I'm not going to tell you how you need to believe on this, but I'll tell you what I've come to the conclusion on, is that while it may have been God's desire to have revival there, I don't believe what they're doing there is, is what He has. I certainly think that it would be a wonderful thing for Asbury to have a revival. Wouldn't you say so? I would say this. I believe that God would even have a desire to do that there. But I cannot say definitively from Scripture, and in fact I think Scripture shows otherwise, that what we're seeing there is certainly not of what God is doing. Let's take a look here at a couple of things. Uh, first of all, it has already been established and is very publicly known that they have openly gay-affirming leadership that are leading worship in these services. 
Um, one of the questions that I asked, and I, it's one of my five, so I'm going to go give you this one, is how can people who are claiming to have more of their will surrendered and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Truth, how can they in good conscience have fellowship with those that either preach another gospel or are either openly defiant in sin against what Scripture teaches? How can you, how can you in all, if this is a Holy Spirit-led revival, and the Holy Spirit is a Spirit of truth who's going to teach us in all truth, how can you in good conscience in a revival like that stand in, in arm in arm and link in, in arm in arm in ministry with people who are openly affirming to be homosexuals? I, I will say this, those are the things that in true revival ought to be the things people are repenting of in sackcloth and ashes and with weeping at the mourner's bench, not flaunting in leadership of worship. And a lot of it seems that the emphasis of the revival has not been repentance of sin, although I've heard some people say there are people that are getting things right in their lives. But if you hear the testimonies, and I would say that I don't know that I've heard one testimony that did not have some direction of this in the testimony, that the revival seems to be about love and inclusion. And that, that boy, we're just, we've, we've learned to be more loving and to have the love of Christ. I, I sat the other day, and I, I, I hated to even listen to it because they don't use King James and there's some other things. But I sat the other day purposely because I was concerned about this and listened to the chapel service that actually was supposedly the one that launched all of this. You know what it was on? It was on the love of God. Having the love of God in your life and to let it flow out through you. And, and, and while we do know that the love of God ought to be in us and flow through us, the revival has not been repentance of sin. It's not been uh, Christians uh, coming and, and repenting of the wickedness in their lives and coming close to the Lord and forsaking those things. It has certainly not been marked with additional preaching. It's been 24 hours a day, seven days a week, three, three, almost three weeks now, since the, the one preaching service took place that was 30 minutes of preaching. And, and I would say this, and I, I don't mean the man who preached it any ill will, but... It was the most watered-down message I have ever heard. And, and he, he gets up there and he preaches for 30 minutes a week an anemic message that uh, was, was just not much. And then there's no more preaching. Every major revival I've seen that I believe God was at the heart of has made preaching the primary thing of the revival. It's the preaching of the Word of God that brings men to repentance. It's the preaching of the Word of God that, uh, that brings the convicting of the Holy Spirit uh, as, he, as He enlightens that truth that we hear in our hearts about our sin and brings conviction to us. And our hearts are stirred and we want to get things right. I don't find this. I find that there's a, 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 an unusual number of those that are of the Catholic persuasion, the Catholic faith, trying to come in and have a part in this revival and to, to have leadership in it. And I'm not against Catholics as far as the people are concerned, but I am against Catholicism. They teach a, a false gospel. They teach another gospel. And again, if, if, if you've got the Holy Spirit of God in the middle of all of this, He's not going to bring together people that are teaching other gospels than what He says is the gospel message. In fact, so much so that, uh, let's just uh, go ahead and turn over here, if you will. Let's go to 2 Corinthians for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and let's just see what God's thought on this is, all right? 
2 Corinthians chapter 7, because again, I can stand here and give you my opinion all night. But let's see what God has to say about it. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, and uh, let's go to verse number 1. We're going to read down several, quite a few verses in here. <clears throat> Uh, wait a minute, am I in chapter, where am I at? Chapter, oh, wrong one, maybe First Corinthians, did I write wrong? Wrote my notes down wrong. Let me get the right one for you. Uh, let's see here. Yep. Nope, that's not it either. Well, I may have written the wrong passage down. Yeah, that's where, I, that's where I'm at. Uh, is it the one I'm thinking of, though? Uh, that's not the passage I was looking for. <laughs> okay, well, I, I will have to give you that a different... Well, I, I, we need to have that one right. Let me just look it up real quick. I've got a quick look up here. And I apologize for that, but let me get it get it right here. Oh, chapter 11. <laughs> it rhymed with 7. There we go. Chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There we go. Now we got it. This is the right passage. The funny thing is I even looked this up and read it before tonight's message, but I still wrote it down wrong. All right. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose I was uh, not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles, but though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge." But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye may be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was in chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me. The brethren which came from uh, Macedonia supplied, and in other, all things I have kept myself from being a burdensome unto you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth, but what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles. He's speaking here of the fact he didn't take money from them. He wasn't in it for the money. He wasn't in it for what they could do for him. But apparently there had been some that had come among the church here in Corinth that they were taking advantage of the church. And they were teaching things that were not right. In verse 13 it says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves, notice this, into apostles of what? 
Christ. They transform themselves into that. What I get from that is that in every appearance, they seem to be the apostles of Christ to the church at Corinth. And no marvel, look at verse 13, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of what? Light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I say again, let no man think of me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. He's saying here that it's possible that even these these uh, spirits that are from, from Satan himself can be transformed into ministers of righteousness in every outward appearance. They could look, they could look right. There's another concern that I have, that not only have they got... Uh, homosexual, the homosexual crowd taking leadership roles in something that they claim to be of the Holy Spirit. Not only is there a religious group of the Catholics that are coming in and attempting to take leadership role in, in this movement as well, that teach another gospel, but now we find that uh, there, and, and certainly there's no centralized uh, emphasis of Bible preaching, it seems to all be about the worship music. And I uh, was replying to someone just today about the, they inquired about it, and I shared with them some of my concerns. And I said one of the concerns I have is the revival seems to be centered in emphasizing music. And I said it's, it, we all know that music can become a very emotionally stirring thing. You don't believe me? Go to a rock concert and turn the music off. Not going to be a whole lot of not not a whole lot of getting them all worked up into a froth and a frenzy, is it? Go go to go to a basketball game or a football game and take away the music. It gets a lot less exciting all of a sudden. By the way, go to some of these churches that are making the music the main thing of their ministry. Take away the music, and because their message is so watered and weakened down, there's nothing to feed the people with, and people leave away worked up into an emotional state, but starving to death spiritually. Much of the music that they're dealing with is music, almost all of it, in fact. I would say probably the vast majority of the music that they are using and have been for the last several weeks has been music that has come out of the Bethel ministry in California and the Hillsong ministry. Both of these ministries have already, I've dealt at length about them here about six months ago. We had weeks and weeks of dealing with the issues that are involved with the, the Word of Faith movement, the New Apostolic Reformation folks that are out there. And uh, Bill Johnson, who is the pastor at Bethel Church, is steeped in uh, incorporating New Age into his church. He makes no bones about it. He just released a book here a few months ago uh, on the physics of uh, spirituality or the physics of heaven, I think it was, something along that line. And in that book, he, he talks about vibrations and spirit guides and auras and how that these tools were originally meant for the Christians, but the New Age and the occult, Satan worshipers, began to rob Christians of these tools. Well, that's not the case at all. These were tools of Satan and have no part of the Christian faith. And yet he's bringing this into his church. And one of the concerns I have about many of the... Uh, the folks that are writing music for these two ministries that are out there, there's a couple of things that concern me about them. 
Number one, it seems like everything they write is appealing to the world. The Bible tells us, that, and Jesus even told his disciples, he said, look, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. He said, they, they, when they hate you, don't, don't be shocked by that, because they hated me first. Why is it that these, these music uh, writers are having every single song they write rise to the top of the worldly charts? The artists rising to the top of the worldly charts. There's something not right with that. Uh, the gospel isn't that appealing to the world that the world just flocks to it and loves it with all their heart. In fact, they, they hate it. They can't stand the thought of it. Uh, so that, that concerns me a little bit. The other thing that concerns me a little bit is some of the books that some of these music writers that are out there have written. And again, when you read their books and see the things that they have in there, they are nothing more than New Age occultism in their beliefs. I, I, I hate watching stuff like this, but I, again, because I need to, as I deal with things from the pulpit, I need to be aware and let you guys know of some of the dangers that are out there. But I, I happened to watch just, just a baptismal service at Bethel Church the other day. And um, they, have two, they do two things. They have people that want to be baptized come up and they ask them what their name is. And then they say, why do you want to be baptized? Not one of them, not one of them said, because I've trusted Christ as my Savior and I want to follow Him in obedience. Not one of them. I heard things like, well, I'm entering a new chapter of my life and I just want to love more. And they would say, boy, that's great. Go right over there and get baptized. And that was accepting for them to baptize someone. The most appalling one, and what kind of put a finger on the nerve of the direction this ministry is going, is, is a lady that came up and she said, uh, I uh, have been called by my spirit leader to be a spirit leader for the animal kingdom. And that's why I want to be baptized. And you know what they said? That's awesome. Go over there and get baptized. And they were okay with it. And they're the ones writing the music for this spirit-led revival. I don't see that. There's some concerns. There was a, a fellow who wrote an article. I'm just going to read a couple of, a couple of excerpts about this, these ministries out there in California that are responsible for the worship music. And, and by the way... Uh, I'm going, to, I'm going to say it, and I'm just going to say it, and some of you may leave my church over it and be upset at me over it. But Joy FM, uh, folks, it is, it, is, it is full of this type of music. And any serious child of God, any brand new child of God, anyone who's ever trusted Christ as their Savior, I would warn them against it as dangerous. Uh, and if you don't like me after this, that's fine. We'll, I'll still be your friend. But, folks, that's the truth of it. They're singing music written by people that teach another gospel, that mix in the occult practices of New Age movement into their worship, into their church. Even the words and some of the, 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 the things that are uh, the lyrics of their songs will, will if you if you understand where they're coming from, fit perfectly with their belief system. And what's happening is sincere Christians who think that there's no harm in that and they don't know the background of all of this, they look at that music and they say, well, those things can apply to our, our worship too. But they don't realize what they've stemmed out of. 
what they've come out of. And Satan, Satan always tries to counterfeit the truth of God, doesn't he? How do we discern? We discern because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and He is called by Jesus the Spirit of what? Truth. And the Bible tells us, and Jesus told His disciples, He will teach you in all what? Truth. That's how we know. That's how we know these things. But I'm going to read you a couple things. First, there's, there's four points here. First, Bethel Church promotes an experiential uh, approach to knowledge that includes mind transformation in comparison to the evangelical faith or the faith of the Bible, uh, highlights uh, discernment based on the truth of God's Word. Uh, so they talk about mind transformation. The second thing is uh, a search for mystical insights beyond biblical knowledge uh, is sought after in the Bethel Church and stands in stark contrast to the Bible's teaching of absolute sufficiency of Scripture. So they look to spiritual insights. They look for uh, revelation, from, and, and they'll even call them this, their spirit guide, their spirit leader. And they actually teach people out there to find a spirit guide. And they tell them to go and get in a quiet room and to say the words, come, come to me, come to me, over and over again, or something similar to that waiting for this spirit guide to appear to them and to inform them. And this isn't something I've heard. This is something I've seen the, the excerpts from their books. I've read them. Not the whole book, but I've read the excerpts that are there, where they are teaching these things. And this is where worship music is coming from, for what we consider to be a spirit-led revival. And I know that there's going to be people that I'm probably going to get phone calls from this week. How dare you say that that's not of God? Well, there are certainly times that we would not know if it's of God or not. But times that it is against Scripture, we absolutely know that it is not. We, we, we find some things that are just concerning there. Thirdly, and, and it's not a message on Bethel Church, but I just want to show you where this music seems to be coming from that's driving, seems to be the driving force of this revival. Uh, Bethel Church uses mystical knowledge to promote healing powers. They deal with crystals and vibrations, spirit guides, and potentially encouraging Christians to employ animistic practices, whereas the Spirit warns against magical manipulation of spiritual powers. And finally, uh, most scholars that hold the Scripture as their sole authority uh, acknowledge that Bethel has various sources of authority. They don't consider the Bible to be their sole authority. And as definite proof for their claim to mystical knowledge and New Age integrations. This is, what, this is what those ministries are about back there. And they're writing music. And it is being used. If you look at, I was watching a clip, I think it was yesterday or the day before, they said that there had been a demon that was cast out in this revival service. Um, I, I'm going to be careful how I say this, but I'm going to say it. There's probably more demons in there than were cast out if there was even any casting out. And I know, again, people are going to say, Pastor, how can you say such a thing? Because it certainly is not the Holy Spirit. And if there's any spirit at all in that place and it's not Him, there's only one other source it can come from. So I have five questions that I've asked and try to come to Scripture. Number one, why is there not an emphasis on biblical preaching? 
Why is there not an emphasis on biblical preaching during this revival? The music is to prepare the heart for the preaching, not the preaching for the music. Secondly, why is the focus on returning to love and inclusion rather than conviction and forsaking of sin? Why is the focus on returning to love and inclusion rather than conviction and forsaking of sin? Number three, why do we not see any great accounts of the lost coming to Christ and trusting Him for salvation? All great revivals that I believe were Spirit-led, Spirit-directed revivals were revivals where many, many, many people came to trust Christ as their Savior. It began with Christians getting their hearts right. But it was marked by fruit of people turning to Christ. We're not seeing this. Number four. Why are so many false teachers, according to Scripture, and even worldly influencers flocking to endorse this? It's made national news headlines even on secular, liberal ungodly news networks. Why are they endorsing this? You know, it was interesting because uh, when Jesus was here on earth, uh, there was an accusation made that he was casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub. He said, Satan's not going to cast out his own devils. You know, basically, that's what he was saying. He said, this is only from God that, that does this. Satan's not going to work against himself. And in fact, Satan's going to do everything he can to try to encourage and build up the things that he's doing in this world. And one of the biggest red flags I think you and I can have in discernment, according to Scripture, is that if the world loves it, we ought to be cautious of it. We ought to be cautious of it. The fifth one I've already given to you, and that is how can people claiming to be more surrendered to the leading of the Holy Spirit in their lives have fellowship with those that have another gospel and are are openly defiant in sin against God's Word. Uh, A couple of things I wrote down here just in closing. The Holy Spirit will never be in conflict with the truth of His own Word. He just won't. If true Spirit-led revival was happening in Asbury, I'll tell you what I would see. I would see them forsaking the music that they're using right off the bat. I would see there being more sober... Broken contriteness of heart and spirit. Brokenness over sin. And not this gyrating and dancing and praising all the time. I'm not saying there's not a time in a revival for praise. But if that's all it is and there's no conviction of sin, it's not revival. It just isn't. Uh, there, there's some things I would, I would expect to see uh, the world... Criticizing it. They would be coming by the droves, trying to harm it, trying to speak ill of it. And what I do find is people that I respect as folks that are biblicists, they they hold strongly to the Bible being their sole authority of faith and practice, are coming out in reservation and sometimes in direct opposition of it, saying there's no way that this is... Of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit. It's just too contrary to Scripture in too many ways. 
I'm not saying every revival that's ever taken place has been perfect in its way of, of working. But I will say that there has always been a direction of the Holy Spirit away from the imperfect and towards the perfect in those things. To get away from the, the idea that we have uh, nothing to do but praise and to get to the place of saying, Lord, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. And then for Him to show it to us and have a contriteness and a brokenness of spirit to get it right. That leads to fruit of people coming to know Christ as their Savior. Tomorrow, I think it is, if I got my dates right when I was looking this up, a fellow by the name of Francis Chan, I've heard of him before, I've seen a few clips that he's had uh, over the years, is coming supposedly to conclude the revival, to kind of wrap it all up, to sew the, the bookend onto the end of it and, and call it a revival. Uh, Francis Chan is from the International House of Prayer. Uh, I found a few things out about him that concern me. Not only is he certainly uh, the things that I have heard him teach or preach on in the past have certainly been things I would not be in full agreement with from Scripture, but uh, a while back he went and met with uh, the Pope. And when he came back from that meeting, and he spent some time over there with him, when he came back from that meeting, his emphasis in ministry changed where he began to de-emphasize and separate himself, uh, the, the idea of preaching away from ministry and to try to de-emphasize preaching and to elevate worship. And he has made it a concerted effort since leaving uh, his visit with the Pope of uh, diminishing the importance of the preaching and elevating the uh, importance of music. And when they say worship, they mean music. All right? That's just what they mean by that. While music can have a part of worship, music in and of itself is not worship. Uh, it certainly can be a part of it. But worship is something that takes place in the heart. Uh, and and I've, I've been concerned, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention another person here, and some of you may even know of this fellow. Uh, but in recent days, uh, I've seen and been concerned with some, uh, and, and it was actually in researching some things for even this message, that I came across some things about Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is the son of Charles Stanley, if you knew of him years ago. Uh Andy Stanley has gone so far off the deep end and has gotten to the place where he doesn't believe the Bible is the Word of God at all. He thinks it's 66 books written by different men who just happen to write books and that we should never say the Bible says. Uh, and he has made so many heretical statements in recent years and even blasphemous statements. And this group, this Francis Chan and this Andy Stanley and, and even some of the new apostolic uh, uh, stuff that's going on, this, this Word of Faith movement stuff coming on, folks, it is steeped, and I cannot warn you enough as, as your pastor, it is steeped in the occult and in New Age. It is, it is absolutely, and I, I'm going to say it, and if people block us off Facebook or whatever, I don't care, it is orchestrated by Satan. It is part of his work. And you say, well, how can that be? I mean, they're religious people. We just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, not 7, that Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. And it's not a wonder that even his ministers can appear as 
apostles of righteousness when they are not. And I say this tonight, and I, I brought this message mainly for two reasons. One is to warn you. I don't want our people. I, I, and when I say I had people ask me that I was shocked who they were that asked me in some cases. Not in every case, but some cases. Because I thought they should know better. And some of them were asking me not because they didn't know, and I understand that. They already had their mind made up on it. They were wondering what I, what I thought about it. So I know there were a few like that as well. Uh, and uh, some of them may fit in that category. That they were already settled on it too. They just wanted my, my input on it. Um, but there were some that were legitimately wondering, well, I wonder what, you know, is there anything to this? So one reason was to warn us of it. It is not, from what I can see of Scripture, it is certainly not of, of the Holy Spirit. Um, secondly, to try to show us a, a, a vivid example of how easy it is for us to swallow something and not discern it with Scripture. And the importance of everything that we look at spiritually to try the spirits. Check them with Scripture. Make sure they match. And, it, and, and I, I'm, tired, I'm tired up to here <coughs> because I've had a number of folks in, in the last year, not even on this particular issue, a number of folks in the last year, year and a half, of Christian people that have come and said, well, it's mostly good, but there's just this one area of concern. If there's one area of concern, then there's a problem with it. If it's contrary to Scripture, if they've seen it in Scripture, and they just say, we're going to still do it anyway, there's a problem with it. Now, I understand some people can just not know. That's a different, different, different setup there. But we're talking about things that people should know. And they decide, no, we're going to do it this way anyway, or we're okay with it being this way anyway. They're... they're their general go-to phrase is, don't put God in a box. <laughs> and yet, God puts Himself in a box, doesn't He? Scripturally. He says, there are only these things that, when you look at them, you can say they're of God. And anything outside of this, even God tells us, they're not of me. So even He puts Himself in a box. So yes... Is God in a box in that aspect of discernment? Yes, it's very narrow. It's very clear-cut. And is not left up to everybody's discernment about whether, yes, I think it is or not. We come back to Scripture for our discernment. And so I hope that will be a help to you. Some of you here tonight probably didn't have a bit of trouble with that. But if you did, I hope it cleared it up. And if nothing else, I hope it shows us the importance of so many things in our everyday life that we've got to be discerning in from Scripture. Don't just take it at face value. And don't just be agreeable to it because you like the person you're talking to. If it's not right, let them know. Say, I just don't see it that way. I don't see it in Scripture. You can be kind about it. You don't have to be ugly. But don't be agreeable to it. It's wrong. And it needs to be, needs to be said that way. All right, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed. Thank you all for your patience. Father, we come to you, and I pray that you'd help us to uh, have the discerning ability that as we look to the pages of your word, as we study.